It's your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for final show of the week. It's been a busy one, and it's going to get busier even yet. Um, Sunday, of course, Vikings versus Giants from U.S. Bank Stadium. I will be there probably doing a couple podcasts after the game, maybe one Daily Delivery Special Edition, maybe one Access Vikings with Andrew Kramer and Ben Guessing. We'll see what time allows for, and we'll see what the game ends up producing. We don't know what's going to happen on Sunday. That's the great thing about sports. But to get you ready for what we think might happen, Ben Gessling does join me a little bit later on in this show to preview that game Sunday, as does Ed Valentine from uh, from Big Blue View, SB Nation, New York Giants site, to give you some of the perspective from the Giants side, what's been going well for that team this year, a surprise playoff team, just like the Vikings to a certain degree. They've been surprising this year although they've fallen off a little bit down the stretch here. But um, really appreciated Ed hopping on with me, so I hope you enjoy that conversation in a little bit. Um, Got to get to uh, some some interesting stuff, too. I read a report, Buster Only and ESPN.com, reporting that uh, balls and strikes will be called electronically in all um, Class AAA ballparks in 2023. That's this season coming up. So that would obviously include the St. Saint Paul Saints. <clears throat> In fact, I saw the story because the Saints tweeted it out. Now, Buster is just using sources in this story, so I don't know if it's official yet, but that's pretty interesting. They're considering a couple different ways to go about it, but that is probably just the runway for it being used in Major League Baseball, some testing. So we'll get to that at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? A couple of big games from uh, from the world of Minnesota sports on uh, on Wednesday. I'm sorry, on Thursday night, um, the Wild wins big comeback over the Islanders we'll get to that in a minute but Gophers men's basketball hadn't watched much of that this season hadn't been all that interested because it doesn't seem like they have a whole lot of juice right now but was you know just kind of look, looking at Twitter um, in the middle of uh, it was probably 6 six thirty Thursday night it was during dinner time and uh, I, I saw the Gophers were ahead <clears throat> second half in Ohio State so I flipped the game on uh, once I was done eating, and I was like, okay, this is pretty interesting. And not only was I interested in how they were playing, which I thought was very poised down the stretch. Um, we'll get to the free throw issue in a minute, but I was fascinated by the style of broadcast that Fox Sports 1 was using. Um, they call it the all-access, and you either loved it or you hated it. I was, you know, after after the fact, I, I loved it. I loved, you know, the coaches were mic'd up. <clears throat> you got to go inside the huddle basically at all the timeouts, listen to what the coaches were saying, see what they were drawing up to a certain degree. And you could hear the coaches throughout the entire game too. They had like a little split screen, little inset where the game was the you know the vast majority of the screen, but you could see the coaches, you could hear the coaches throughout. Ben Johnson coaching his butt off in this game, trying to get the Gophers their first Big Ten win of the season at Ohio State. Huge underdogs. They're like 15-point underdogs, I read in Marcus Fuller's game story on StarTribune.com. So, it's just this fascinating style. And like I said, either you loved it or you hated it. After the fact, I went and looked at yeah, Twitter, went back to Twitter, and kind of did a search of FS1 All Access. And it was like half of people were like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I love kind of feeling like I'm there in the moment, feeling like I'm going inside. You know, even some couple of journalists were like, this is what it's kind of like to sit courtside with the media. You get to see and hear everything. This is why it's so important to be there. This kind of simulated that experience. And other people are like, God, this ruined everything. I just want to sit and watch the game. I want to be hear, hear the broadcasters loud and clear. I want to see the game in full screen. I didn't tune in for this. So 
I, I liked it, and I, I don't know if I would want it for every game. I don't know if I'd want it for, you know, like the biggest game in the world because I want to be able to kind of have my own headspace, be able to kind of see what I want to see, not be constantly bombarded by these coaches talking. But for this game, you know, which was not a high-leverage game by any stretch of the imagination, the Gophers came in winless in the Big Ten. Ohio State expected to, you know, expected to win pretty easily. Didn't turn out that way. Of course, there was some drama, which I think made it even better. You hear Ben Johnson, you know, screaming for this, screaming for that. You know, not in a bad way, but just like, you know, getting into the game. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it worked out really well. Um, I'm curious to to hear what anybody else thought about it. But when I when I mentioned it on Twitter, everybody else said, "Yeah, I loved that. That was great." Um, so that was pretty cool. I might write about that a little bit more on Friday. But the game itself, Gophers had a six point lead in the final minute, missed four free throws to let Ohio State back into it. But then Talon Cooper gets uh, gets to the line with like 1.7 seconds left, makes one of two to give the Gophers a one point lead. And then Dawson Garcia ices it with two more free throws after Ohio State fails on the inbound pass. So the Gophers do prevail 70-67, to a much-needed win, a huge upset for them. Um, maybe, just maybe, the start of something building there. Dawson Garcia, um, in addition to those two free throws, had a monster game. I think he had 28 points. That's, you know, almost close to half of their points in this game, or, you know, getting close to it at least. He carried them for a lot of the game. He was awfully good. Um, <clears throat> so it's just, you know, one of those games where, you don't want to make too much of it because you never know, you know, next game they could come out flat and lose. The season still as a whole does not feel like it's going anywhere fast, but when you win a game like that, you do get you do get, you do get my attention. Um I liked the 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 poise they showed even though they missed those free throws. They got to get better at the line. They're 59% for the year. That's just that's going to kill you in these close game situations. They got to get better at that. I don't know if that's just practice or the you know the personnel right now at that, you know, you got to be up close to at least 70%, if not, you know, the NBA standard is like 76%. I think that I think they're up to like 78% in the NBA this year. No excuse not to make at least 70% of your free throws as a team. They got to fix that. But they made just enough in this game, and that was impressive to me that they were able to pull that one out. Speaking of pulling it out, the Wild gets themselves out of a slump, gets themselves out of a game in New York, down one nothing going into the third period. The Islanders very good at locking down leads, especially at home. Wild scores three times, including an empty netter close to the end by Kirill Kaprizov. Gets the 3-1 win to snap a three-game losing streak. Huge third period for the Wild. That was a massive comeback, a massive way to snap that losing streak right around the midpoint of their season. Seemed like they were hitting a little bit of a lull, even though during that three-game losing streak they did have points, I believe, in two of those games. So it wasn't like they were falling too far back. But to get this win... To get out of that, you know, out of that road stretch with a win, it's got to feel awfully good for them. Um, again, I don't know exactly where they're headed this season as a whole. I think Philippe Gustafsson's been awfully good for them. They're, you know, the ostensibly their backup goalie to start the year has been one of the best in the league since mid-November. He had another good game against the, against the Islanders, giving up just one goal. Interesting to see how that develops over the course of the year. Um, but you know, overall, I don't know where you're going with this team right now. I don't know exactly like what to expect from them for the rest of the year, but I think they're pretty good. I, I, I guess that's the, you know, that's the cop-out answer is I think they're pretty good. I think they, you know, every team's going to have a little bit of a lull. I think they are still a pretty talented team, a pretty good team that does bear watching for the course of the year. But this game in particular impressed me because I was kind of flipping back and forth after that Gophers win. And uh, they, they caught my attention in that third period with that rally, with the way they were able to do it and getting that big win on the road. 
Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, I'm back with Ben Gessling, Star Tribune beat writer, covers the Vikings, of course. Kind of a significant game, Ben, I don't know. Sunday seems like it carries a certain amount of importance. Vikings-Giants yeah, in a little bit. the playoffs. Um, you've been out at Access all week this week. You, you're writing, obviously, tons of stories, tons of content. Star Tribune, startribune.com. Big story maybe on Kirk Cousins later in the week that people should check out. Um Cousins is going to be a big deal in this game. I mean, as much as we've kind of pointed to a lot of things for this team this year, he's been front and center at, at a lot of it, a lot of these comebacks, a lot of the deficits. He, he's been right there, and that's kind of the story of his five-year tenure. What do, you, what do you make of Kirk Cousins' 2022 going into this postseason? Well, I mean, statistically, you look at it, and I think a lot of people have looked at it through this lens, his, his numbers are not as good as what they've been in the past. I, I think talking to people around here, though, the, the st- story they tell is quite a bit different than that. It's it. There's a lot on his plate that was not there before, um, at least in terms of what he's asked to do in commanding the offense. He's got a lot more control at the line of scrimmage than I think he's had in the past, and it just has a lot more responsibility to make checks, to change things in the line, uh, adjust what the offense may be doing in individual assignment. There's a lot that goes into his job, I think, that sort of signifies the level of trust they have in him and also just the level of expectation. This is an offense that asks a lot of its quarterbacks, and a lot of the offenses in this scheme, in, in this family of schemes, this sort of uh, Shanahan, McVay, Kubiak kind of offense these things ask a lot of their quarterbacks. And one of the reasons Kevin O'Connell felt like he could do this here and, and do it successfully is that he had a quarterback that could handle a lot of the mental part of this job. And that's one of the things you talk to people around here that they praise the most about him is both his preparation and just his command of the offense so that by the time he is on the field on a Sunday, he's got a pretty good handle of how to get people in and out of good or bad assignments. Dan Orlovsky uh, put out a con- rather hot, takey, controversial ranking of quarterbacks in the playoffs. I think he had Cousins 11th out of the 14. I mean, obviously you're in the playoffs. There's a lot of good quarterbacks. It, it, it's been an interesting year to watch how much credit versus how much blame Cousins gets. And I do sometimes you know, wonder how that affects him, you know, whether he cares all that much. When, when things go well, it's Justin Jefferson this or TJ Hawkins and that. When things don't well, it's Kirk, it's Kirk Cousins messed it up. Yeah. How do you think the mental game, how do you think he approaches that, especially you know now that the stakes are raised? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know that he's spending a ton of time listening to the rankings of things. I mean, I, I think he knows that he's going to be judged on playoff success, but until he gets a lot of it, there's going to be a lot of these questions about him. I mean, it, he's he and I have talked about that a number of times, and he understands that, the only thing that really changes all this stuff is winning. And I, I think some of it bothers him. I think there's some level of a feeling, I, I guess, of that he's overlooked or people don't appreciate the fact that he's been 
a productive quarterback for as long as he has. But I, I think she also understands there's really only one way to end all of that and to change the narrative, and that's to win and, and win big. And it has to be this time of year. I mean, 13-4 and four is great, but if you go one and done after that, people are just going to remember the one and done. So I think he understands that this is all part of that job. And, uh, you know, now is when you really get a chance to make your mark. As, as Patrick Peterson put it, um, when I talked to them yesterday, it's the opportunity to basically write your name forever, write your name in a legacy forever. And certainly, you know, it, if any of these guys become the reason the Vikings win the first Super Bowl in franchise history, whether it's this year, next year, whenever, um, those people are going to be remembered for a very, very, very long time in Minnesota. And the memories will not be, yeah, he was, he was, inconsistent or he, we didn't get as much out of him in 2019 as we wanted or 2020 or whatever. It'll be, Hey, remember that year they won the Super Bowl and that'll, that'll overshadow everything else. So until that happens, a lot of these things are going to be there. He is going to be dependent to a certain degree on how well he's protected. That's just any quarterback, but particularly cousins. We on, we know Brian O'Neill's not going to play. He, he suffered that season ending injury a couple weeks ago against the Packers, but we've seen some things in practice early this week. Garrett Bradbury, at least out there on a limited basis. Blake Brandle returns from, you know, for, from that injury he had a few weeks ago. With those two guys, what's your sense? Is Bradbury kind of a, a game time thing? And, and Brandle, is that, that someone who definitely would get that nod if he was able to go? Or do you think he rotates with Oliudo? How do you think they handle right tackle if Brandle is indeed good to go? My sense today, just talking to a couple of people, is that Ole Udo is still, I think, in line to play there. Now, Blake Brandle has been ahead of him on the depth chart, but Udo has had more time with this configuration of the line, and, and I think they were fairly happy with what he did there last week. That could change, I think, if they feel better with Brandle at the, at the end of the week. But my hunch there right now is that Udo is the guy at right tackle. I think the other one that's interesting to watch here is Garrett Bradbury and how they are going to proceed with him if they feel good enough about him to put him out there. If they're 100% with him, I think he starts. But I think being able to answer the question at the end of the week of how did your back respond to practice? Was it sore? Are you worried about it seizing up on you? I think they have to feel good about the answers to all of those questions before they give him the job back. Otherwise, I think Chris Reed goes back out there simply because you, you can't, have that question at that position in this game of this magnitude and you probably aren't going to start somebody unless you feel good about all of the things that go into having him ready to play 65 snaps against a very good defensive front that they're going to have to be able to handle if they want to win this game absolutely final thing for you ben i've got uh, ed valentine from big blue view it's the sb nation new york giants site uh, coming up later on in this show and all six of the Giants writers from that site, spoiler alert, pick the Giants to win this game. Maybe a little bit of home cooking there, but we're, we're going to let them have that for now. Um, in, you, in, your, in your opinion, I mean, this is a this is a game that's basically a toss-up. I mean, you look at the point spread, you look at the way these teams played earlier this year, even with the Vikings having a 13-4 and record compared to the Giants at 9-7-1. and This is a pretty close matchup, the two teams that have maybe overachieved to a, to a, a degree of magnitude this season. If you are the Vikings, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here at the end. What's one thing that you should feel really good about coming into this game and one thing that you should be really concerned about coming into this game? I think the thing that you feel really good about is going to be you know, just what 
you are able to do if you can get Justin Jefferson down the field. I, I think this is a secondary that will play him differently than it did last time. I think they'll be more aggressive with him, probably try to put a safety over the top. They'll probably have Adoree Jackson back. They'll, they certainly will have Xavier McKinney back in the secondary. But I think Jefferson knows how he's going to be played. I think the Vikings have cooked up quite a few things to deal with that, to try to get him open, to get him free releases at the line. I'd expect he's going to have a big day. I, I think he is is looking forward to the stage, looking forward to getting a chance to show what he can do in the playoffs. This is a guy that played in a lot of big games in college, played in a national championship game, won a national championship. I think he's going to have a big day. I, I think they have a great chance to win if he does that. The thing I think they should be worried about is how they handle that Giants front. I think that is a, a really tough assignment. Even when this is a group, when it's an offensive line that's at full strength, and it's certainly not with Brian O'Neill not playing. I think missing him is a big concern when you have to deal with the guys that the, the Giants have up front, whether it's Williams, whether it's Kayvon Thibodeau, whether it's Aziz Ojolari, whether it's um, Dexter Lawrence. I mean, they bring a lot of different things at you, and it will test them on the right side of the line. It'll test them at center where they have new starters. So I think that really is the key to this game. The Vikings have to figure out how to keep the battle at the line of scrimmage, at least at a stalemate or maybe somewhat in their favor to win this one. I think if they do that, if they can handle that Giants front, I think they will win the game. Um, but that is a big if, given the state of this offensive line and given what the Giants have to bring to the table in, in the ways that they can both try to slow down the running game and in the ways that they probably, more importantly, can pressure Kirk Cousins and try to throw off his timing with his receivers. The thing I'm having a hard time reconciling, and maybe this is a good final thought, is 11-0 in one-score games this season. That's got to give them a lot of confidence in one regard because they've been in a lot of these situations. They've, yeah. they've survived. They've gotten through. And, you know, when you go 11-0, there's some element of luck, but there's also, you can't deny that there's some element of whatever it is that makes them play well in these situations that is more than just good fortune. The flip side of that is, all it takes is one of these games to not go your way for one of two, one or two plays at the end to not go your way. And at this time of year, uh, that means your season's over. How do you, yeah. how do you kind of reconcile the, the kind of amazing run they've been on in these one score games with the idea that, you know, that's not infallible. That's not always something that you want to hang your hat on. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the NFL in this day and age, there's more close games, more fourth quarter comebacks than ever. So this idea that, oh my gosh, they're winning a lot of close games is not quite as, uh, you know, much of an anathema as, as it may have seemed at different times. It, it's not something that is necessarily as much of a sign of weakness, I think, as it's been portrayed as being. I, I think certainly you'd like to see them win some games more decisively. They've had chances to do that this year and, and haven't taken advantage of those, whether it's, you know, Chicago early in the year getting way ahead. I think the Saints game in London, they had chances to do that. And they've had chances to, uh, you know, have to, well, they've had opportunities, I guess, to come back from being way down because they put themselves in those spots. Buffalo, certainly Indianapolis, it's been a lot of those moments as well. And they have not played, I think, a consistent four quarters. So that part of it is certainly an issue. But this also is a league, and I think the NFC is a lot of teams that are fairly evenly matched this year. So, if the games are going to be close, you might as well be able to win them. And I think the fact that they have done it as many times as they have, they're not going to be scared in those spots. Their, their two-minute offense has been awfully good. It's been awfully efficient. Um, and they've, they've come up with a lot of their best moments on defense at the ends of games. This has been a defense that's 
giving up a lot of yards and a lot of points. But in the end, when they've needed to make a play, quite often they've come up with the turnover they've had to have. And I think they feel like that stage is not going to be a surprise for them. So if anything, they talk a lot about being battle-tested. And I think that element of things as you go into the playoffs certainly is not a bad thing to have in your back pocket. No, I would agree with that. And we will see how that plays out on Sunday. You'll be there. I'll be there. The rest of the Star Tribune will be there. It seems like a lot of us, yep. uh, all hands on deck for uh, for the playoffs. Looking forward to it. Should be fun. Uh, ben, appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll see you soon. It's good to have playoff football back in town. Thanks, Mike. It should be, yes, should be a fun baby. weekend. All right. Right now, let's bring in Ed Valentine from the Giants SB Nation site, Big Blue View. Um, give you a little bit of Giants perspective. Ed and his guys do a great job covering that team over there. And, you know, Ed, a little bit of a symmetry between these teams, I would say, in terms of not a lot of high preseason expectations, maybe a little bit more for the Vikings. I think some people saw them maybe as a, a wild card team, at least, but not a 13 and four team. And not a lot of people necessarily thinking the Giants were going to do much at all. Yet here they are in the playoffs, got off to that really good start, and that carried them where they are now. From where you sit right now, what has it been like to follow the progression of this year's team? Well, first, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the the opportunity. It's been really interesting, and you're right. There were no expectations for the New York Giants this year. This is one of those years where first-year GM in Joe Shane, first-year head coach in Brian Dayball. They went 4-13 and a year ago. They've had double-digit loss seasons five years in a row before this year. And, and all you're looking for in that case, all you're looking for in that scenario is signs of progress. Does Brian Dable look like he's the right head coach to go forward with for a few years? Do they play hard? Do they look competitive? Do they can they win six or seven games, you know, and, and make some sort of step forward? And then all of a sudden the Giants go to Tennessee week one and they beat the Titans, who were the number one seed in the AFC a year ago. And as we learned eventually, the Titans weren't as good as uh as maybe we thought they were entering the season, but that's a big victory. And then all of a sudden you look up and the Giants are six and one and you're like, how did that happen? Right. And they didn't play to that pace the rest of the way. I wouldn't have expected them to, but to be nine, seven and one to be in the playoffs, no one really expected this. It's, it's, it's a huge bonus because I think we found not only do they have the right head coach, they might have more of the right players than we thought they did. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because I think there's a lot of questions coming into the year about Daniel Jones and whether he was going to be the long-term solution at quarterback. Thought you had a really good piece in Saquon Barkley, and that has proven to be the case. You know, for, as as you've watched this team, what what is the identity from your standpoint? You watched them way more than any of us here in Minnesota have watched them. We saw the game earlier this year between the two teams, the Vikings and, and Giants, which was very close. So you needed a 61-yard field goal to win that one at the end for the Vikings and needed to win their turnover battle in that game too. But from, from a 17 game standpoint, what, what are the, what have become the strengths of this year's team? Well, Brian Dable is asked that question every so often, and he always comes back to the word resilience and it's kind of a good way to describe this team. They've, they've gone through 
a bunch of injuries like many teams do, but to the credit of the front office and the credit of the coaching staff, they keep churning the roster. There are so many guys on this roster who weren't part of this team when the year started. Fabian Moreau is a starting cornerback that the Giants plucked off a practice squad. Jalen Smith is a starting linebacker they plucked off the street. Isaiah Hodgins is their best wide receiver right now, and they plucked him off the Buffalo Bills practice squad in the middle of the season. Landon Collins is a guy who was on the street beginning of the year, and now he's playing a big role for their defense but there, it's it, it, the other part of it that's interesting is the Giants were a run-first team most of the year. And it was ride Saquon Barkley, ride Daniel Jones' legs, try to try to not maybe not milk the clock, but try to control the pace of the game, try to win the uh, the time of possession, try to control the game that way. That sort of turned in the Minnesota game. That was really the first time all year where the Giants went into a game with the plan of, we're putting the game in Daniel Jones's hands. We're going to let him try to win it with his arm. And, and since then, they've been much more efficient in their passing game, much more willing to use it on first down. And so, th so that's interesting. They're, they're evolving, you know, but they're just a team that plays hard. They blitz like crazy. They attack. They just keep coming. And and a lot like Minnesota, they expect to be in a slugfest in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's why I think a lot of people expect this to be a close game. I mean, like I said, the, the last one between these teams was close. They've both played a lot of close games. We're well aware. I mean, I'm sure you're well aware of the Vikings, you know, somewhat incomprehensible 11 and 0 record this year in one score games, which you know, you can look at it as an outlier stat. You can also look at it as, you know, they've made the plays they need to in those moments that they have come to define a lot of NFL games. Um, you guys, uh, Big Blue View, all six of you guys, we were talking about this before we, we started recording, all six of you picked the Giants to win this game. And I don't think that's a, a, a wild pick by any stretch. I mean, the point spread is only a, a couple few points and this really is kind of a 50, 50 game, but you, you said makes you a little bit nervous or, or squeamish to do that. Even if it does feel like it's a very realistic proposition. It, it absolutely does because I don't blame anyone for picking the Giants to win. Obviously I did. And Maybe with all six of us doing it, maybe there's a little heart overhead in those picks. Let's, you know, let's be real about that. But I've heard people use the term fraud when it comes to the Vikings as a 13 and 14. And I'm not going to sit here and say that the Vikings are a fraud. They're 13 and four. They got to that record for a reason. But but I don't look at them as a 13 and four team that scares me. I don't look at them as I don't look at them the same way. I look at the Philadelphia Eagles or the same way that I would look at the Kansas city chiefs. I don't look at them as being all that much better than the giants. If they are better than the giants, I look at it like they have just the, the Vikings have Justin Jefferson and the giants don't. <laughs> And that's that's the biggest difference between those two teams is the Vikings have Jefferson. The Giants don't have that guy, but the Vikings are 11 and 0 and 
And as I said to Christopher Gates, who runs the SB Nation Minnesota site, the Daily Norseman, I, I asked him, I said, you guys are 11-0 and in these one-score games. Does that make you a little bit nervous? Because sooner you don't win every one-score game. The Giants course, are 8-3-1 yeah. in those games. Sooner or later, the ball that somebody fumbles doesn't roll out of bounds and the other team picks it up, or you get a bad call, or you get you get a strange bounce, or you get an, a, a turnover at the wrong time. And, you know, the Giants have had those things happen this year, but just like Minnesota, they've been in a lot of slugfests. They're used to playing in those games. Daniel Jones has made a lot of big plays in those games. So has Saquon Barkley. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get to the last six minutes of this game on Sunday and the outcome is entirely in doubt. Yeah, and I think that's what most people are expecting if you're if you're in any kind of realistic sense i think that's 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 just the way these teams have played and they are pretty evenly matched like you said you did note a big difference justin jefferson on minnesota's side not on the Giants' side justin jefferson had a big day in that game against the giants but the giants were missing some of the key people who might stop him this go around how much of a factor do you think that will be in this game oh that could absolutely be a factor now listen you don't you don't stop Justin Jefferson. What you know, he's going to make plays and Giants defensive backs, we've talked to them about that this week. Giants defensive backs have have said as much. He's going to make some plays. TJ Hawkinson is going to make some plays. They're really, really good players. The idea is for the Giants to, to be where they're supposed to be, do what they're supposed to do not make it easier and you want Jeff you want Justin Jefferson to have to be Justin Jefferson and make a spectacular play instead of being wide open to make an easy play if he makes a spectacular play you just say hey you know he he did that because of who he is but to your point the giants will have Xavier McKinney their very talented third year safety who missed seven games after his his little vacation incident in Cabo during the bye week, which which there are still lots of unexplained things about exactly what happened there. But let's just say that I don't think McKinney will be taking any trips to Cabo during <laughs> bye weeks the rest of his career. I don't think that'll be happening. But uh, the other the question mark right now is whether Adoree Jackson's going to play. And Jackson hasn't played since week 11. That's a real sore point for Giants fans, too, because he got hurt returning a punt. And he had no business being the punt returner. He was he was basically put in the position of punt returner because Richie James, the primary punt returner, had a game around midseason where he fumbled the ball twice. And the Giants really had no one else to turn to. So they put Adoree Jackson back there, and he got hurt. He hasn't played since week 11. So there's questions about how much he'll play, how well he'll play. But given the fact that if both of those guys play, the Giants will be more talented in the secondary than they were the first time around. So they would have a better chance to at least to at least limit some of the damage. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of damage, a couple more thoughts for you. Ed Valentine from Big Blue View, SB Nation, uh, New York Giants. 
Um, one of the areas the Vikings have struggled with, especially in the second half of the season, is pass protection. Brian O'Neill, they're very good right tackle out for the rest of the season. Some question about who's going to play at center. Garrett Bradbury trying to get back at it. You, talk, you talked about how the Giants blitz a lot. They might be able to get some pressure even with just four. That, to me, is kind of going to tell the story of the game. What do you think? How much pressure they're going to get on Kirk Cousins and how uncomfortable they can make him? Well, absolutely. That is what the Giants try to do. The Giants, I was just looking at the number before we did this show. The Giants blitzed on 39.7% of defensive snaps this year, which is the highest rate in the league. And I will be honest with you, that's down from where it was a few weeks ago. It was in the 40s, not all that long ago. But as Wink Martindale says, the Giants are always going to attack one of the things that he does best, a lot of a lot of defensive coordinators try to use the blitz. They dial up the blitz, and you can kind of tell where it's coming from. You can look at it, and you can see where it's coming from. What Wink Martindale does better than anyone is dial up pressure that creates free runners to the quarterback. Watch the Philadelphia game from the other day. There's There are free runners heading at Jalen Hurts all game long. And that's what he does better than anyone is you're not sure where it's coming from. And, and there's quite often a free runner coming at the quarterback. So, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau has been really good the second half of the season. Dexter Lawrence has been playing the nose and in the, the NFL PA in the players, all pro team, which in all honesty, probably has more credibility than the writers, all pro team. Sure. Dexter Lawrence was named the all-pro nose tackle. So if I'm the Vikings and I'm looking at the possibility of starting a third-team center, I'm not feeling really comfortable about trying to handle Dexter Lawrence, who's had the best year of his career. No, and that pressure up the middle is always the hardest for a quarterback, and that is where the Vikings have struggled in some games, not just this year, but in the in you know during the Kirk Cousins tenure. Um you know, final thought. I think I think the Vikings probably still win this game, but it's it's kind of one more of those home game kind of thing. It's it, it's the margins are so thin in this game. Give me your kind of one minute pitch. The, the Giants will win this game if before I let you go, Ed. Well, I think the Giants win this game if they play clean. The biggest difference in the game a few weeks ago was two Giants turnovers in scoring territory. One was an interception on a really nice play by Patrick Peterson. One was a fumble by Daniel Bellinger, which uh, was right around red zone territory, Bellinger's Giants tight end. If the Giants play clean, they can win this game. And as I, as I mentioned to you earlier, the thing that makes me, that would make me nervous as a Minnesota fan is that 11 and 0 mark, because it it is such an outlier. If you get to if you get to that last six minutes, that last four minutes, you know, sooner or later a break doesn't go your way. So I mean, I I think I think it's slugfest. I think it can go either way. As you've already noted, we're picking the Giants at Big Blue View, but we all pretty much have indicated this is a toss-up game. It could go either way. And uh, so we're interested. One quick thing I'll throw out before yeah. before we're done. The Giants have, since 1993, 
they've either been one and done in the playoffs when they've made it, or if they win a playoff game, they've made it to the Super Bowl. That's amazing. It's it's very strange. It's very odd. But every time they've won a playoff game, they've made it to the Super Bowl. So there's there's that little bit of weird history ha- out there hanging around. Well, it's a that's an interesting all or nothing uh, all or nothing stat. I'll be I'll be watching that. I think this is going to be a great game. And it's you know games that are pro- projected to be toss ups are fun in the first place. And these two teams just played. It was close. We should expect this to be close and we should expect this to be a good game. And hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we get an outcome that's not, you know, determined by some weird call or something. It's just a a clean outcome and we'll see what happens. Um, Ed Valentine, appreciate it. Uh, Best of luck to your giants on, on Sunday. And uh, maybe we'll talk again down the road. All right. Thank you very much. Good stuff from both Ed and Ben earlier. Um, just should be a really good game Sunday. I guess that's kind of what it boils down to, right? Um, even though my prediction for the Star Tribune, I went out on a limb. I like to do that. I picked the Vikings by, I think, a couple touchdowns. If we're being realistic and not contrarian, this should be a pretty close game. <clears throat> that's just the MO of the Vikings. That's the way these two teams seem like they shape up, especially after the way they played against each other earlier this season with that narrow three-point Vikings win. Could go either way. Um, but I expect the Vikings to win just because they are the home team and because they have been the better team for the bulk of this season than the Giants. Let's finish with the cooler quick from the jump. Like I said, um, robot umps. I like to call these robot umps. Uh, it's not robots. It's not like R2-D2 and 3CPO and some of the modern robots are going to be the, uh, the the ones behind the plate. But you know, electronic balls and strikes is probably a less fun but more accurate way of describing it. Electronic balls and strikes are going to be used in AAA baseball this season, according to a report from ESPN's Buster Olney. Um, That would mean it would be at the Saints games this year, which would be interesting to watch. Two different methods will be used. They're going to test two different things. One, all balls and strikes called electronically. Second system being a challenge system where you could could challenge three calls per game. Um, And if if you got the challenge right, you would retain your challenge. I don't know which one I like better. I think the the challenge system maybe is is kind of the compromise. It it, it takes it doesn't you know take all the work away from the home plate umpire, <clears throat> but it does have the potential to slow the game down a little bit. I think that I think ultimately we're headed towards a point where if the technology is good enough and they believe in it enough that it will be used all the time, every time. Uh, maybe not you know soon, 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 but. I think it'll be fascinating to watch how it is used, how it, how batters react to it, how pitchers react to it in, uh, in, in, you know, in, in AAA this season. If the, if the technology is there, I don't know if one system is going to emerge that people like more than the other. I think Buster Olney's story hinted that, like I said, that the challenge system might be more of a of an easy way to get into this instead of going wholesale change. But uh, the revolution of balls, of balls and strikes is here. Um, would would totally change the idea of pitch framing, things like that, when if and when it does become more prevalent. Um, but you know what? If the ball's a ball and the strike's a strike, that's how it should be called. So it would be a change in the game, but not necessarily one for the worse, just a different thing to have balls and strikes called electronically based on sensors and based on where the ball crossed the plate. That will do it for me today. Hope you enjoyed all the shows this week. Like I said, should be some bonus stuff coming up this weekend off of Sunday's game. And for sure, back at it on Monday to talk with Roycey about that Vikings-Giants game and so much more. Have a great weekend. See you then.